The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about peace and spirituality. Peacemaking and spirituality, don't they sound beautiful together? And I recently had the opportunity to meet by phone a wonderful woman who has done fantastic work for many, many years uh, in the area of peacemaking and spirituality. Let me tell you about my wonderful guest, Barbara Fields, who's coming to us from gorgeous Santa Barbara, California. She's been the executive director of the Association for Global New Thought since 1997. And she is also the co-founder and project director of the Gandhi King Seasons for Peace and Nonviolence launched annually at the United Nations since 1998 and right through 2013. She's also the co-founder and project director of the Synthesis Dialogues 1, 2, and 3 with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. That was in 1999, 2001, and 2004. And she's coordinator of the U.S.-based Omni Local Initiatives for the Abraham Walk Initiative in the Middle East. And that's a program of the Harvard-based project on negotiation founded by William Urey, who was my professor and was on this show, and President Jimmy Carter. Um, she's also the director of the Gandhi King Peace Train and Living Legends of Nonviolence Conference. And that's a traveling conference held on private rail cars up the California coast, celebrating a decade of spirituality-motivated activism. And that was back in 2007. And she's also the director of the Awakened World Conference of 2012. And that's uh, that was called Engaged Spirituality for the 21st Century. I could go on and on with more and more of the wonderful things that she's been doing, but I, wa- I really want to talk to her because I want you to hear her. But you can find out more about her at our website at conflicthealing.com where we have her picture, her bio, and we link to her website, which is uh, the acronym for Association for Global New Thought, which is agnt.org. It's a nonprofit organization, and we're just thrilled to have you, Barbara. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This sounds like it's going to be fun. Oh, it absolutely would be fun. Could you tell us a little bit about your nonprofit organization so people know a little bit about the Association for Global New Thought? Sure. Yes, we were founded in 1997, 
and we're an association of churches that many people wouldn't know as New Thought necessarily, but they would have heard of churches like the Unity Church and the Church of Religious Science, the Centers for Spiritual Living. So we're an association that is an umbrella for all the different expressions of New Thought um, in the United States, but also in other countries. And our mandate is not specifically having to do with the theology of New Thought, but rather the activism that communities like these can perform in their communities based on the fact that they are spiritually motivated and they do want to be of service in the world. And I know that you have uh, described your work as peace activism, which you just mentioned, and that's peace activism from a a spiritually motivated perspective. Kind of explain a little bit more about what that means. For, you know, some people here go to traditional churches on the campus or uh, people driving by are not familiar with Unity or other New Thought churches, which, you know, I've been, I went to Unity for many, many years and go to the uh, Center for Spiritual Living. So I know it, but a lot of people really aren't familiar with that. They're familiar with their own Catholic churches or whatever. So um, what, Tell us a little bit more. Sure. Well, people from many churches, Catholic is an exemplary example of, of spiritually motivated activism. But the idea is that um, churches and other denominational religious organizations around the world have always to some extent been, been involved in service ministries and doing good on the planet, having feeding people, having orphanages, helping to build schools, etc., etc. And so it's not a new concept, a new thought by any means, but spiritually motivated activism is something that's very different than our notion of social and political activism per se. For one thing, it's very inclusive. It doesn't take sides, and it doesn't leave anyone out. It's not angry. It doesn't lobby, but most importantly, it's that the individual activist is coming from a place of of fairly deep spiritual training in their own lives, which means that they understand that when it comes to making peace in the world, they have to begin by making peace within themselves, within their communities, their families, etc., and that only then does the understanding of peacemaking become grounded and intrinsic enough so that it's sustainable. And many of these folks, you know, they work in two jobs, and they have families, and they do volunteer at their church. But when their activism is spiritually motivated, it comes from within rather than being influenced or motivated by an external issue. And therefore, it actually can persist over time because it comes from a, a very different motivation, a very deep motivation. And I, I feel that it, our examples in the Gandhi King season for nonviolence um, are actually telling us about legendary nonviolence makers who were deeply spiritually motivated themselves, and we believe that that has something to do with the um, persistent historical legacy that they've left behind. And so we have people like Marianne Williamson, who is, I, I would kind of 
think of her like that, wouldn't you? And she's running for Congress right now, isn't she still running for Congress? I think she is. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of her biggest opponents just decided to retire, as far as I have heard. Hmm. And that's going to make her road easier to, to travel, I think. And for a long time, she's been interested in developing a, um, you know, Department of Peace in in the United States. And I think that's something that that kind of shows us that kind of activism. What do you think about um, the fact that we have the Internet now that we can really reach people who never before could um, could even be involved or even think of of spiritually motivated um, activism? Well, I mean, obviously that tool has sort of turned the entire social and political world on its on its end. Um, it's not that the spirituality would be new to it, except that the means of grassroots populations to organize themselves and communicate with others is now possible at unprecedented levels of depth and breadth, really. Um, the the tools that are available online and, and the ability for these groups to communicate with each other all over the world, um, when individual citizens uh, become disempowered because they feel nobody's listening, they don't know how to do this, they've never been leaders before, where do they begin, um, how can one person make a difference? Remember, those are the kinds of things that we used to hear all the time um, from individual citizens who felt, dismayed by what was going on, but didn't really know where to begin. And I think that the Internet tools and the ways that um, nonprofits are organizing through cyberspace, I think this has made a really huge difference in our ability to be effective and to be noticed and to work together. I know, and I, I you know, I didn't mean to go into that so deep because we're going to talk a little bit more later about your website, but I just want to mention it again if people are driving by, it's easy to remember. It's the acronym for the Association for Global New Thought, which is agnt.org. So, Barbara, tell us about some of the programs and projects that you've done through the this association. Oh, wow. It's been such a delightful ride for me. I mean, it's tons of hard work, but um, one of the things you mentioned earlier were the synthesis dialogues that we conducted with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and these were meetings that we convened um, with His Holiness in attendance for between three and five days. We went to, to India the first time, and then we went to Italy for the subsequent dialogues. Um, the third time, we stayed at the Pope's Summer Palace, which was quite an interesting experience. Wow. <laughs> um, and the people that we assemble are, are world religious leaders from all the different traditions. And experts in secular disciplines who have something to say about what is going on in politics, in the environment, in education, um, in economics, that sort of thing, and has convened these kind of roundtables with the common denominator being that although we have a great deal of diversity in the room, that the people are progressive thinkers and leaders in their own right, and in some cases, they feel as if they've almost reached the ceiling of many of the more traditional, orthodox, fundamental people within their own traditions, and they really need an open system to begin to expand their ideas. 
So that's something that we've done a lot of in terms of convening dialogues in that way. Um, there's, there's all sorts of public events that go along with that. And as you mentioned before, our Gandhi King Season for Nonviolence Project, it's mostly conducted on the Internet, but it allows communities all over the world to participate in nonviolence activities in their communities. And so um, what are some of the outcomes when you get together? Are there some edicts? Are there, what, what exactly do you come up with as, um, or do you just dialogue, or is there some objective? Well, in, in, the, case, in the case of the Gandhi King season for nonviolence, um, people are building peace coalitions in their communities that, that are lasting now. They, they don't just come and go. They, they actually help to bring nonviolence organizations um, associated with schools or religious organizations to bring them together so that they can work more effectively in the community together rather than alone. Um, they do work in schools and they do work um, with community groups. They have concerts, they have um, fundraising dinners, they, they build, they, they'll, they'll go to Africa and build a school. It, there's, there's a huge variety of outcomes. They watch films together, um, they have book clubs together. It's, um, sometimes they intervene when there's a gang-related issue or domestic violence of some sort. So it's a really wide variety of outcomes that are very concrete. Let's talk a little bit about some of the principles and models that you believe are, are keys to, to really be involved in the spiritually motivated activism. Hmm. Well, let me ask you a question. Okay, you can ask me a question. <laughs> um, do you have a, a spiritual practice of some sort? It might not be connected with any traditional organization, but for you it feels like a spiritual practice. Okay, so when I meditate, that's a spiritual practice, or when I pray? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So everyone has their own notion of how to move in a place that is a little bit deeper or set aside from the busy day as usual, where they're just, you know, kind of manufacturing the game from the standpoint of their own egos or from what they expect other people are looking for. But the idea of the spiritual model would be that when you're coming from a place of deep meditation or you're coming from a place of being spiritually in touch with your source, the, the way that you act in the world becomes very different because you become more conscious of how you're treating people if you're being ethical, um, if you're being kind and of service, rather than just trying to get ahead or gain something for yourself. I think that's what I, I mean by spiritual model. Right. And so some of the principles um, of this kind of model are there. I know for Science of Mind, for example, the Science of Mind magazine has like principles of what, what Ernest Holm had written is what we believe, you know. And I, I would think of those as kind of being guiding principles. So with all the different um, new thought people, are there some principles that have been written down that everybody could agree upon? Um, yeah, you know, I think that people would find them very, um, what do you call it? Kind Inclusive? Of, yeah. Um, intuitive in a certain way. Okay. Um, that 
there's a sense of um, consciously um, bringing forth a way that human beings can evolve and the world can wake up and how they can be of service to that. Um, there's a sense of um, the fact that we have responsibilities as ethically motivated community leaders. We can't just leave it to somebody else or to, to our elected officials without feeling a sense of responsibility. Um, that we have to respect other people's worldviews. That, that just because someone thinks differently, looks different, worships differently, um, has different rituals or practices, that somehow their point of view and their beliefs are somehow less important or less valid than our own. Um, the principle that there is um, a sense of a positive future, even though we're not shying away or trying to be in denial of the challenges that we face, that as long as we're alive and we have the great gifts that we have as human beings to begin with, that there's a sense that we can contribute to a positive future and um, change some of the doom and gloom prospects that many people are, are bringing forth on our mainstream media. Um, there, there's a sense that, that all life is sacred, that other, other beings, that the earth itself is sacred, that animals and sentient life is sacred, and that we respect that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when you get together with all of these um, uh, religious and spiritual and secular leaders, um, how do the secular leaders respond to all this? Yeah. Well, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, normally we're not dealing with secular leaders who are completely naive to the conversation of the way that religion and spirituality gives rise to our cultural values and that our cultural values determine our, our, our social choices and our social policies. So, in a sense, those secular experts are already somewhat familiar with the language that we're using, and, and they're, they're able to kind of flow right into it. Mm. So, you know, I think about our, the people in power, okay, in terms of they have the power to vote, uh, they have the power to make laws. Um, I know we talked a little bit about Marianne Williamson getting into the scene and, and looking to um, run for Congress. What about, what is there, is there an outreach by your organization um, to speak with members of Congress and the legislature, or at least the California, for you're in California, uh, of the state legislatures? Well, you know, this is, this is a question that is very important because we're an association of churches, and as a nonprofit organization, we're actually, as you well know, as an attorney, we're actually bound um, by certain um, restrictions and limitations in terms of um, actually endorsing candidates as a as a community right. and right. lobbying for different kinds of legislation, and so we don't feel that that doesn't scare us out of the ballpark the way that I think it has scared religion out of activism for many many years, um, because as long as as we observe the letter of the law 
it doesn't mean that we can't inform ourselves and educate our community and have productive debate and dialogue um, so that we do influence people, but we don't, not from um, a proselytizing or a pressuring point of view, um, it's more like educating the person to become more consciously aware of what their choices are so that when they do go to the polls or they are deciding on, on referenda, for example, that they're making more informed, more ethical choices and, and they're not just, um, you know, in the dark or, or more importantly, buying what we're, what we're fed from the kinds of media that is not sophisticated and, in fact, quite divisive. And, 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 and most of our community is pretty aware of that now. Right. I'm just thinking that, you know, the the um, the very conservative right doesn't seem to have any problem about talking to legislators about what they're asking for, at least on an individual level. You know, I'm not talking necessarily about an association that you worry about, but, you know, uh, for people to kind of express to their senators that they want something that is more respectful of whatever it is that, that, that is in line with the principles. You know, I just think it's sometimes that activism, um, sometimes you have to get in power to be able to, um, you know, now with the Internet, we, you know, we're gaining more power, I think. But I do still believe that there are, um, you know, the, the legislature and Congress still has the power to make decisions that affect our lives every day. Yeah, I know, and what's really up with that? I mean, I've no, I've noticed this. Not not the fact. Not, I'm not not asking a question about what's up with um, congressional proceedings, but this idea of the religious right versus what what we sometimes call ourselves, which is the spiritual left. Yeah. Um, I always I'm always wondering, you know, who is the wizard behind the curtain? Yeah. Who is controlling all this stuff? Because Whenever the religious right intervenes in ways that that nonprofits and spiritual organizations have to be very circumspect about in order to not be questioned or get into trouble, it seems as if it's just um, business as usual for the so-called religious right, and that we don't really hear a lot about them shying away or, or, or having consequences that are negative when they mix religion and politics all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of the same story that we have between the Republican and the Democratic Party, the, the, the right and the left of politics. Um, you know, Democrats, in my opinion, um, seem to have to watch their step a whole lot more. And, and to me, it's always been kind of an enigma. I'm, I'm curious to know how you feel about that. Well, you know, I, I, I try to be as uh, neutral as possible, being that I'm a mediator. <laughs> I just think that everybody has a right to be heard, and um, then you make choices about it. But I think one of the, the great things about the organization that, that you're directing, you know, the Association for Global New Thought, is that you're more inclusive rather than exclusive. And so by including, uh, including people from any religion, it's just like when I go to my, my uh, Center for Spiritual Living, um, we are inclusive. It doesn't matter what religion you are. We're, you know, everyone is one, and we're all there to accept you and, and you know, uh, embrace you. And so that's why I, I just see it as, at least on an individual basis, that um, 
working within the organization is one thing and working to um, kind of help the our our legislators know what we want is another you know that mm-hmm. that we want to be heard that we want to be inclusive that the things that we want um, in terms of peace and thinking of global peace and respect that that be out there um, so I, I like the idea of of more peace activists uh, running for Congress or running for legislature, just to have that voice out there. Yeah, no, this is very important. And this is one of the reasons why a candidacy like Marianne Williamson's is important now. Is is um, I, I know Marianne, consider her a friend, and, and she is a real forerunner in our movement and in our society. And I know that she she doesn't she takes nothing lying down. It and if if she's running for office, it's not because she wants to change a policy or two. It's because she wants to change the system. Right. And I think that many of us in the New Thought movement and beyond are kind of on the same page that it's it's a systemic institutional issue now that we're up against. It's not just which elected leader or not we happen to get in there. If, if the system is failing or corrupt or outdated, if the system itself is failing us, then there has to be um, taken under consideration the kind of qualitative changes in governance as a model that could really turn things upside down. And um, I'm not sure how much longer we can avoid uh, doing that kind of heavy lifting, and I think that candidates like Marianne um, you know, there are pros and cons to every candidate. candidate everybody right. has to sure. admit that. But just the idea that she's sort of rolling up her sleeves and saying, you know, the system needs a major overhaul. This is not just about changing details. I think that that's very significant. Yes, it is. I think it's, uh, that's why I'm saying your, your spiritual activism, you know, kind of encouraging um, people to get into their local um legislature, you know, to be on the school boards, to go for the city council, to, to do these kinds of things really will help to change the mindset out there. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, I, I just remember, you know, being a woman lawyer and I've been a woman lawyer now for, you know, 28 years and going on 29 years. And, uh, you know, we've had to do a lot to get women into um, partnerships and law firms and become judges and other things and get, you know, on, uh, you know, appellate courts and the Supreme Court. And I think, you, you know, that kind of activism, you have to get into the systems that are making the laws so that you have the the kind of influence there to, to make some uh, different uh, choices, right? No, I couldn't agree with you more. I think one of the reasons why I enjoy working with the New Thought movement so much is that in the world of religion, it, it's it's very patriarchal. I mean, it, it is the most patriarchal institution on our planet, right. and the political system is probably quick on the heels after that, right? And the we, we can we can actually proudly claim that. Um, among world religions, um, with the exception of traditions that are indigenous, for example, that Muthat has more, um, ordains more women clergy than male at this point. Yes. And that's a huge tipping point in the area of religion, and nobody really wants to talk about it much or does talk about it much. 
But what you're saying is that you, at a certain point, it's not effective anymore to change by advocating or change by articulating. It becomes necessary to change by example, change by demonstrating. Yes. Because as soon as the system starts to um, become a little bit less recognizable to people, it looks different. It's more diverse. There are more people of color. There are more women. This becomes a new norm for society. And then every time that there's a, a question, it's harder and harder to revert to the old ways of being. Because there are new examples being set for us that be, are becoming normal, that we're becoming accustomed to. And that's really the only thing, uh, the only way that it's ever going to change. And that's a perfect way to end because we are just out of time. So Barbara Fields, who is the wonderful director for, since, uh, for many years of the Association for New Global Thought. Thank you so much. And uh, just give your website and it's time for us to go. Okay, we'll do. www agnt.org and I want everybody to stay tuned for our Awakened World International Film Festival coming up in Santa Barbara the last week in October of 2014. Wonderful. Thank you, Barbara. We'll have you back again and we'll keep in touch. You're wonderful. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. And visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests and download podcasts and write us about what is important to you about peacemaking in this world and in your life. Bye. expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.